Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, church, I read a story uh, from Reader's Digest about a fella. His fella is by the name of Herb Frost, and, and, and Herb talks about marriage, okay? Since the sermon is about marriage, I thought I'd get something interesting that Herb writes. And you go, well, who's Herb? Well, his name is Herb Frost, right? Now, listen, when it comes to marriage, here's what he says. Now, I need, I need the women to help me out because I did this first service, and, and it was a little bit cricket. You know what I'm talking about? So I need some women to just, okay? Here's what he says. He says, when it comes to marriage, there are things we need to do and things we shouldn't do for our wives. For example, what not to buy your wife. That's what he says. He says, although a man usually shops for his wife, right? That's the only person he shops for. The whole experience could be a stressful one. He says, a man has felt extreme frigid temperatures for a long period based on poor present decision. He says, as a veteran of these wars, I'm still not sure what to buy my wife, but I'll pass on what not to buy my wife. Okay? This is a man's view of what not to buy his wife. Okay, women, can I, can I, I'm going to need an amen if, you, if you're with me. Okay, number one, he says, don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as practical. Okay, no, well, first service, they were like, well, he bought me a vacuum. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. So this is what Herb says. Number two, he says, don't buy clothing that involves sizes. Chances are... One in 7,000 that you'll get her size right. Your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times, and she'll tell you, do I look like a size 16? She'll, she'll say, too small a size doesn't cut it either. I haven't worn a size 8 in 20 years, so men don't buy sizes. Some of you know, some of you don't. Can I get an amen? Avoid all things useful. Okay, new silver polished advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you any browning points. Amen? No? Good? Girls? Unless you're wanting silver polish, I don't know. Don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. She perceived a six-month membership to a diet center as a suggestion that she's overweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's one that got me, okay? He says, don't buy jewelry. (laughs) Here's why. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. And the jewelry you can't afford, she doesn't want. That's this guy. That's this guy. That's this guy. And guys, don't fall into the the traditional trap of buying her frilly underwear. (laughs) You're... (laughs) Your idea... Your idea of the kind your wife should wear and what she actually wears are light years apart. Okay, there you go. That one's good. And then she said, he says, finally, don't spend too much. Okay, how do you think we're going to afford that, she might say. And don't spend too little. She says, she, she says um, is, that all, is that all I'm worth? End quote. This morning, on a more serious note, I always like to come up with something like that because Paul is going to, as we as we dive into the book 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this morning's subject is actually marriage and sex. Now, I know a lot of pastors don't preach on sex from the pulpit. If they do, this is what Paul says. This is what Paul's... And, and here's what... We're going to talk about some things this morning that I pray will help each one of us grow in our walks with God and grow in marriage. Because I know there's a lot of folks... There's, I got more singles in here this morning, okay, than anything else. But I, but I have more marriage folks. And, and, and we're going to talk about this stuff. And you go, why, pastor? Why are we talking about this stuff? Well, listen, first and foremost, when it comes to marriage, I believe that marriages are under the most vicious attack these days. We know it, right? And the reason is simple. Marriage is like the Christ or the church-Christ relationship. We get that. And the concept of marriage is really to illustrate Christ's relationship with the church. And he bases that on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 31 and 32, where Paul speaks on Christian marriage like this. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, he's quoting Old Testament. But then he says this, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So our marriage is... Uh, church should be a picture of Christ and the church. That's what Christian marriage should look like. Well, stands to reason that that's why the enemy is attacking marriages. I want to distort that view. And many marriages are under attack. But listen, God's word gives us practical application. Now, here's what I want you to note about Paul's letter to the Corinthians. When he comes right here and he's going to address marriage, he's not going to go real deep in theology. You understand that? He'll use that for Ephesians. He'll use that other places. What he's going to do is he's going to answer a question that was written to him. So they wrote a letter. He's going to answer that question in a real practical sense. It's almost like he's going, okay, let me just, let me just answer this question. Now, it's obvious that the Christian believers had written a letter to Paul. We don't have, we don't know what the question was. We don't have that, but we do have Paul's answer. And what he does is he takes a long time to, to, to deal with this first. First, he deals with the divisions and the scandals that were going on. We know it's a mess, but then he comes and now listen, he doesn't hold back any punches when it comes to the subject of marriage and he writes boldly and he writes very frankly. Now, let me remind you where we left off two weeks ago. Remember Paul, guys, he was teaching us this lesson. He says, now listen, he was warning the Corinthians about the moral looseness in the church. And Paul starts off by addressing a sexual immoral man who was actually having sex with his stepmom. Paul talks about that. He says, hey, you guys, you got to stop this. And the leadership, this, he, says, he said, this is crazy. Now, remember this, the word sexual immorality is actually in the Greek where we get the word porneia. And we get our English word pornography. So Paul says, listen, listen, when it comes to porneia, sexual, but, but what he's saying is specifically he's going to reference, guys, this sexual immorality and that has jeopardized the health of the Corinthian church. He says, guys, we've got to talk about this. Remember, he's not going, oh, do what you want. It's okay. He's like, no, you don't understand. And then in chapter 6, he actually pulls out the black velvet of sin. 
He says, listen, he paints a very dark picture of sin. He loves people so much that he warns them without beating around the bush. If you look at verse 9 in chapter 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You're like, wow. He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators or adulterers or idolaters or homosexuals or sodomites or thieves nor covet, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul doesn't pull any punches. He says, guys, these, the people who practice these things, they're not going to go to heaven. They're not going to heaven. But he says, but wait, 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 wait. That, and, you know, because we, if we stop there, we walk away feeling all, all just dark and depressed. But he says, well, no, 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 that's the black velvet. I said, but let me show you the diamond of the gospel. Let me show you the diamond of the gospel. He says, and such were some of you. But he says, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified. And we go, how? And he says, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Guys, we are saved and only saved by Jesus. Church attendance doesn't save us. Being a good person doesn't save us. The way we look, our, whatever it might be, it's Jesus. And he says, guys, do you remember what you were? And we go, yes, I don't want to talk about it, Paul. I don't want to talk about it. He says, but that's not you anymore. And he says, you were washed and you were justified and you're sanctified by Jesus. And then Paul says, hey, by the way, all things are lawful for us, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for us, but he says, but I'm not going to be brought under any of them, right? Because the Christians were going, hey, I've got freedom. I've got liberty. I can do what I want. He goes, no, 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 listen. Yes, you got freedom, but but not all, everything you, you go for is helpful to you. At times it's going gonna, it's gonna to put you in bondage. And then we finished off with verses 18 through 20, where Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Flee, get away from it. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in the spirit, which are God's. That's where he left off, said, flee sexual immorality. As we come to chapter 7, Paul will now address marriage and sex. Marriage and sex. But in order to understand the text, we need some background on what was happening in Corinth at that time. Okay, this is going to really help you. Throughout the Roman provinces, there were four ways a person could be married. Four ways. Wait, pastor, I thought they had to stand before a pastor or a priest or a judge or something. Four ways Paul is going to deal with this. This is so important because you'll understand. Number one, it's something called contubrium, contubrium, okay? And all it means is it was tent companionship, tent companionship. You go, Pastor, I'm not sure I understand. Back in this day, as Paul is writing, slavery was rampant all over the place. There were slaves everywhere, right, into the Roman provinces. Well, what tent companionship was is two slaves got together and they lived in the same tent. And if they lived in the same tent and they were slaves, they would eventually say, we're married. We're married. This slave was this person that they were married. It's called tent companionship. The only problem with tent companionship is the owner could come by and go, 
I'm sold your husband, and now you're not married anymore because your husband is sold to somebody else. Paul's dealing with that. You guys with me? The second way is something called USUS, U-S-U-S. And you go, what does that mean? That's when a man and a woman could live together for one year under the Roman provinces, they were considered married. If you lived with somebody for one year, you were considered married. We have that today. Guess what it's called? It's called common law marriage. You guys know this, right? And I'm not sure what common law is seven years or whatever it might be, but if two people live together for a long period of time and say, oh, we're married. Well, really? Yeah. When did you get married? Well, we've been together for so long. It's called common law, okay? No ceremony, nothing of that sort. It's useless. That's who Paul's dealing with. Then the third, check this out. The third one was called marriage by sale. Marriage by sale. Now, this started in the Roman province, but it would be when a father would sell off his daughter to a man to be married for the right price, okay? An older man might come and say, hey, uh, I love your daughter. I'm going to use the word love. I like your daughter. I want your daughter. Let me go ahead and I have a, a horse I'd like to buy. And, and, and he, he could sell his daughter. Now, he could sell his daughter, depending on how much he loved his daughter, to a camel, which is very expensive, all the way to a chicken, depending on how much he loved his daughter, I guess. I don't know. But he sold them. And they were married. He were married. Now, if you remember Fiddle on the Roof, that's kind of how that happened with, with in, in the main character, right? He, we, he was, how much is she worth? The, the, the butcher wanted to give him a pig, but that's where it started. So Paul's dealing with that. The last way you can be married is, is conf, conferito, conferito. And it's the classy kind of marriage. Check this out. Now, remember, this is Roman. This is Roman, okay? This is where they would find a wedding day, wedding afternoon, Okay, they would come together, they would join right hands, like we still do that today, they would say vows, and they would actually pray. The problem is, is they would pray to Jupiter and Juno versus God, okay? Now, what happened is the Catholic Church saw that and adapted that, right? They adopted this type of wedding where we get our weddings today. Because see, the Jewish wedding is not just an afternoon, is it? A Jewish wedding is seven days, but here you would come up, you would, you would say, you know, you would hold hands, you would say some vows, you would pray, and then you would exchange some rings. And the reason we exchange rings is that the Romans believed that there was an artery that ran from this finger all the way to your heart. And so when you put on a ring, boom, you're married. And, and then they would leave there and they'd go to another place and have cake. That's really what they did. And you go, Ben, that sounds a lot like us. But that's them being married. They're married. So think about it, guys. You have, you have tent companionship. We're married. You have a man and a woman who live together. We're married. You'd have, he sold me. We're married. And then you have, well, I think we love each other. We're married. Everybody, everybody got that? That's what Paul has to deal with. Right? All these types of marriages. What happens is now Paul comes into Corinth and people get saved. They really get radically saved, and they're like, oh, but I'm, I'm married. I'm, I'm still married. What do I do? Now, Paul could not go, okay, I need to dismantle all of the Roman culture and say, no, you're not married. You're married. Okay, you did it right. You didn't. He goes, I can't do that. All these people are married, but now they're saved. They're coming into the church. And you know what happens? Sometimes we get married, and we bring our baggage into the church, and we're married. Paul says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach the sanctity of marriage. I'm going to teach the sanctity. I'm going to teach you what you should do now that you're married. I'm not sure how you got married, but you're married. 
I'm going to teach you what you should do. And then he remembers, guys, that the moral character in Corinth has been destroyed. The temple of Aphrodite, a thousand prostitutes, people worshiping with a prostitute, if you will. And then you had, man, think about it, guys. The, there was adultery, was rampant, and this church was a mess. This church was a mess. And so Paul is going to write to simply answer the question. Now, for us... If you're taking notes, let me give you three ideas that are found in these verses to help us. Three ideas that Paul's going to use. You go, what are they? Number one, he says, being celibate is good. Being celibate is good. Now, if you don't know what celibate means, it means to abstain from sexual intercourse. That's celibacy. He says, that's good. The second thing he says is, marriage is equally as good. Because we don't want to get caught up with going, oh, I'm married. Because here's what was happening in the church. They would come in and they would go, oh, I'm saved, but I'm married. Oh, in order to be super spiritual, I need to abstain from having sex with him. So Paul says, no, no, being married is equally as good. And then the third idea, he says, don't be celibate if you're married. That's probably, that's a good one, right? Don't be celibate, and, 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 and so that's what he's going to talk about. So that's what we're going to do jumping into our text. Here's the first idea. Being celibate is good. Look at verse 1. Paul writes, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And so right off the bat, he says, don't touch a woman. Now, you and I, we go, oh, we have to understand what Paul is saying because if we took that in a real literal sense, we can't hug a sister. You can't touch a woman. We would just look and wave, and that's not what he's saying, okay? What he's really getting at, guys, here, he says in the Greek text, it's actually a, a, an idiom, and it refers to having sexual intercourse with a woman. Paul says, now, you wrote to me, he says, it is, not good, it is good that a man should not have sexual intercourse with a woman. Now, he doesn't use wife, he uses woman. He wants to make sure. Now, here's why. Here's why, guys. Think about this. It is not good to have a sexual intercourse relationship with women who are not your wives. And you go, well, Ben, that's Captain Obvious. The problem is, is remember the culture that they're coming into. They're coming out of into the church. They're like, Ben, I used to worship at the, temp at the temple Aphrodite, but also too. Both men and women, listen to me, both men and women, as they got saved, they wanted to grow closer to God, and they thought by growing closer to God that they would abstain from having sex with each other. Well, the man would go, well, I'm not having sex with my wife. This is weird. She's saved. And then he would often go to the temple institute, the, the Aphrodite, and, and have sex with a prostitute. Paul addressed that contextually earlier, right? You and Christ are one, and you're taking her, you're taking him to the prostitute. It's like, oh. In the same way, the man would go, I want to be spiritual, so I'm going to abstain from having sex with her. Paul says, no, 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 hold on, hold on. He says, it's not good. It's not good. Why? Because when you have sex with someone other than your wife, he says, it's called the mingling of souls. It's you give your heart away. You give your body away. You give all of this away, and your souls mingle. And what happens is if you're not married, then it produces hurt, and it produces pain and rejection. And we got to go, man, what, what's going on? Paul says, no, 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 listen. For all my single folks here, it's not good. You need to wait for your husband. 
Yeah, Ben, but it's our culture. This is what we do. No, Paul says, no, no, because, because it's, it's going to hurt you in the end when that's not your wife. Paul writes, listen, listen, it is good if you can remain celibate. It's good. That word good means expedient. Because of the present distress, I understand it's really good. It's really expedient. Now, that doesn't mean, again, think about it. Think about all that Paul has to deal with. And he simply says, now now listen, he says, it is good. But I want you to jot this down. He doesn't say that's the only good. He doesn't say, man, I wish you would just all just stop having sex. Amen. He doesn't say that because marriage is equally as good. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's what he says, because I love what he says in verse two. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Marriage is equally as good. Pastor, that's it. I've got to go. I've got to get married. You don't understand. No, no, no. Listen to what Paul says. He says, abstaining from sex is good. Now, what you need to understand, look, and I'm over here, I'm over here, my opinion, the Catholic Church also adopted what Paul was saying in verse 1, and that's why a lot of their priests and their nuns are not married, because they've had vows to God and God alone. They pulled it from here. But Paul says, but wait, 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 it's okay. It's okay, marriage is good. Marriage is a good thing. He says, marriage is a good thing. And he says, why? Because of porneia, sexual immorality, because of all the culture you're living in, he said, let each man have his own wife. Don't you see that? He didn't say, let each man have somebody else's wife. Can I get an amen? Here's why. Here's why. Listen, when you're going out and you're in, in, in there's sexual immorality and you're sleeping around, you're sleeping with this person and you sleep. What happens is that you're actually sleeping probably with somebody else's wife. If that's not your wife. You know, oh, 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 we just, we love each other. And I was always taught if it's a monogamous relationship, but be careful because Paul says, no, you make sure you have your own wife. Make sure you have your own husband. Make sure you have that. And, and, and here's the reason why. Because of sexual morality, because of pornography, because of everything you've got to deal with. And church, listen to me. Listen to me. Sex is rampant. That's all over TV. It's all over. The, it's all over. You can't get away from it. Our kids are growing up in a sex-saturated world. So we understand a little bit what Paul's writing to. And he says, okay, 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 okay. Here he says, he says, now, be careful. He says, now, if you can't, if you don't have that gift of celibacy, or you don't want to, he says, marriage is the best way to go. Now, that doesn't mean you go, Pastor, I got to leave. I got to get married right now. You don't understand. I got to. No, no, no. You need to wait. You need to wait. You need to seek. But marriage really is the best way to go. Now, remember, contextually, some of the female believers were going, I'm saved now. I'm saved. I'm in church. I'm not having sex with him anymore. But you're married. I know, but I'm not. In the same way, the man says, I'm, I'm saved, I'm saved now, but I'm not going to have sex with her anymore. Paul says, no, marriage is the best way to go. Now, in a more practical note, let me give you six reasons why a person should be married. Six reasons. 
Okay? And they all start with P, so you can jot these down. The first one is procreation. Procreation. We have sex to make babies. The Lord said, be fruitful and multiply, and we have babies. Procreation. The second reason I believe that we should be married is pleasure. Pleasure. What we forget is that God created sex. He's the one who created the whole thing. Right? The devil and everyone has made it dirty and yucky, but it's pleasurable. And I love that God says, man, go, go and, and, and have sexual intercourse, and mm, it's going to be pleasurable for you too. It's going to be good. It's pleasurable. But the devil says, oh, it's dirty, it's yucky, don't do it. Oh, look at this, and, and, and let me find all the way. God, God created it. As long as it's done in the confines of, of marriage and a husband, it's amazing. It's amazing. Number three, provision, right? The man is to provide what a woman needs. Providence comes not only in the form of a house and paying the bills and getting food, but a woman needs emotional provision. She needs, she needs, he needs to provide that, and marriage does that. Marriage does that. Number four, and this is key, guys, Partnership. Partnership. A man needs a helpmate. Amen? Men need helpmate. They need to be a best friend. Now listen, I said it first service, I'll say it again. Guys, we're dumb. We need a helpmate. We need somebody to help us. And and so God provides a, a, a woman to come in and be that helpmate, someone to help us. And I also I also told the women, be a good helpmate. We know we're dumb. We don't need to be told, boy, you're dumb. I know. But what I'm needing is encouragement. And what I'm needing is a good help. Oh, honey, thank you. Thank you. Oh, you, you, that was wonderful. Honey, you're, you're, you're just a good provider. You know what? You, you're so good looking. You're so sexy. Right, buddy? But she needs to be, she needs, we need to be best friends. If you ever stop and think, I would go on vacation without her, that's not your best friend. You need to have fun together. Partnership. Number five, it's a picture. It's a picture of Jesus in the church. So we want to provide a good picture. And number six, and this is key, purity. We get married so we can remain pure. And I'm going to talk, Paul's going to talk more about that, but let's, we'll just, we'll just dive into it, right? Now, again, let me say this again. That doesn't mean you go out and find the first person willing to get married. I like you. I like you too. Okay, let's get married. The believer must seek the Lord. He must inquire and be patient. Pastor, I'm not getting any younger. Be patient. Why? Because I want you to see something in verse 8 that I think speaks volumes. Look at verse 8 real quick. Paul says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widow, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. What is Paul saying here? Ready? It's okay if you're not married. It's okay. I know in our culture that if you're not married by a certain age, something's wrong. 
what is wrong with you? You're not married at 20? <gasps> we have cooties or something? I mean, I don't know. But here's the thing. It's not wrong. Paul says it's okay not to be married. It's okay to be single. Glorify God in your singleness. It's okay. Our world says it's not okay. What's wrong with you? It's okay. Kids, look at me. It's okay. Wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. It's okay. May glorify God in your singleness. You can do so much for him if you're willing. And Paul says it's okay. The world says it's not okay. We, Paul says it's okay. God says it's okay. Glorify God in your singleness. So marriage is good. Being celibate is good. But number three, Paul says, don't be celibate if you're married. One of the reasons we get married is for purity. But notice what Paul says. You ready? Verse three. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Everybody, did you see what, that, what he just said? Now, here's what I don't want you to do. Nudge your husband and say, see, baby, I told you. Hey, Paul's saying, listen, if you're married, don't be celibate. Why? Because I want you to notice two things. The word render here that Paul says, the word render means this. Listen, to be under obligation to make a payment as a result of having a previously received something of value. You know, ben, what did he just say? He said, it means to owe or to be in debt. So when we are married, he says, we must pay the debt of affection. You owe a debt. You owe a debt. Let each man render. That's the debt I owe her. Case in point. I don't want you to think that affection simply means sexual intercourse. Affection means hand-holding. Affection means hugging. Affection means a kiss on the cheek or a kiss on the lips. Uh, 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 affection means coming up behind her and just telling her you love her. Affection. But he says, this is a debt we owe. We owe each other. We owe. He says, let the husband pay his debt. Let the wife pay her debt. The wife doesn't have authority. The wife doesn't have authority over her own body. And the, but the husband does. Now you're thinking, okay, what, is, what does that mean? Every one of us has authority over our own, phys our own physical body. Amen? And when it comes to a spiritual, according to the Bible, our bodies belong to the Lord. Romans chapter 12. But in a, in, in a spiritual marriage sense, guys, she doesn't have authority over her own body, nor do I. But we've been taught differently. We have been taught that we can use sex as a weapon. You better do what I say or he ain't getting any. He ain't getting And we use it in a bad way. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. That's, that's what it should be. Here, here's, guys, listen, here's why. Here's why. And remember, in the confines of marriage, here's why. I'm saved. I'm not good. No, no, no. Let them come together. You owe a debt. You owe a debt. Remember, he's teaching the sanctity of marriage. You owe a debt. You owe a debt. You don't have any authority. You don't have any authority. 
Guys, I understand men and women are different. I understand that. You know what I'm talking about? I know that women, they, they clean the house, they, do, they, they work, and they, they have full-time jobs, and they do all kinds of stuff. They raise the kids, and then they get home, and the husband's smiling. And she's like, let me put on my sexiest sweatpants and go to bed. I get it. I get it. Okay? Let me put it to you this way. This is how I heard it. Okay? Men in, this is marriage. Okay? So make sure you know marriage. Okay? The wife is, okay, she's not too tired. She's, she's okay. And she's in bed, and she might be reading a book. And the husband will get out of the shower with nothing on. And it does nothing for the wife. She's like, please put on some clothes. The husband could work 16 hours, be in bed half asleep. His wife gets out of the shower with nothing on, and he's like, hello. It's, see how we're different. We're different. But Paul tells guys, he says, listen. You owe a debt. You owe a debt. And he's going to tell us why. He's going to tell us why. Because he's going to give us some practical application. Look at verse 5. He says, do not deprive one another except with, what, consent for a time. That you may give yourselves to, what, fasting and prayer and come together again so Satan doesn't tempt you because your lack of self-control. Here's a very practical application. You ready? Don't deprive one another. Don't deprive one another. Here's why. Unless you've communicated to each other and are both satisfied. Communication is the key. Here's why. Listen, if, you, if, if your wife says, listen, I'm really going to pray and I'm going to fast, but I don't tell my husband, and her husband nudges her and says, hey, I, I, I want some affection, I want some, and she rolls over and goes to sleep, he's going to get really hurt. He's not going to understand what's going on. He's going to feel like, what? what? If it works the other way around and, and the husband and the wife's like feeling, you know, and, 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 and he's, he's wanting to pray and fasting and she nudges him and he's like, no, I'm going to turn over and go to sleep because he's praying and fasting without communication. She's going to feel like, okay, why doesn't he, doesn't he love me? Doesn't he think I'm sexy? Doesn't he think I'm attractive? And there's a lot of hurt going on because there's no communication. He says, guys, listen. He says, make sure you're talking. Make sure. Listen, there's a time. There's a time when you can, listen, don't deprive one another, but come together. Hey, listen, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. Here's what's going on. And he gives us the reason, right? He says, but then you've got to come together again. That's key. Married folks, you've got to come together. Why? So that Satan doesn't tempt you. Tempt me to do what? The first thing, guys, is to is to commit fornication, adultery. See, being married is so that we can be pure. But when, when we're not sexually satisfied with each other, it drives us to other things. And it doesn't say, you don't wake up one morning and go, you know, I'm just going to have an affair. I'm just going to have an affair. It starts very slowly. It starts with a little bit of hurt. It starts with a little bit of thinking, and next thing you do, you find yourself looking at pornography. Hmm. I wish my wife would do that. I wish my... 
the problem is with pornography, it sucks you in, it pulls you in, you become addicted, and then you want to act on it. And so you find yourself. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, listen, you've got to come together. Why? Because Satan is going to tempt you. And what Satan is going to do, he's going to come and go, hey, 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 you see this girl? You see this girl? Oh, she, she thinks you're good looking. She thinks you're cute. As a matter of fact, she told you, yeah, she did, huh? I've said this before, guys, and I'll say this sincerely. If you're here and you're married, please, please, please tell your husband how wonderful he is and how good-looking he is and how sexy he is. Because if you don't, somebody else will. Men, if you're here and you're married, you tell your wife how beautiful she is and how wonderful and mean it sincerely and how sexy she is because if you don't, somebody else will. And that's where Satan comes in and he wants to, again, he wants to destroy the marriage. And it happens at an instant. As I go, oh, oh. He says, you got to come back together. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. When a man is satisfied at home, he's not looking anywhere else. He really isn't. A man's got so much on his mind, he wants to focus, he wants to get the job done, he wants to provide, he wants to be a good provider. He doesn't need to worry about, oh, what's going on at home sexually. I just, I don't get it. Paul says, listen, practical, don't deprive one another. I know there are times, women, I know there are times when we do it simply out of duty. But don't make that the habit. Because Paul says here we've got to be careful because of our lack of self-control. And the implication is that there are those of us that go, man, although I want the fruit of the Spirit, I want self-control. I'm lacking it. I'm lacking it. And then Paul lovingly, as it goes on, he says, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, one in the end. It's a gift. Remember, singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift. He says, man, I wish you were all single like me. I wish, it, I wish you were. He says, but, but if you're not, it's okay. It's okay. But the first thing he tells us is this. Remember, all the ways people can get married, Paul says, I say this as a concession, meaning I'm giving you my advice. I'm not commanding you. There's no way with everything going on. And Paul is trying to teach them the word of God concerning marriage right where they are. He says, let's teach the same. You, your, tent, your tent companionship, stay married. Don't deprive one another. Be, be married unto the Lord. Be married unto the Lord. He's going to finish this thought, guys, in the rest of the chapter. But, but think about it. And then he says, but... But to the unmarried, now we're going to close our study here. Look at the last two verses. But to the unmarried and to the widows, he says, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. If you have a pencil handy, the word unmarried there is agamos, which occurs four times in the New Testament. And it's all in this passage. We're going to see it in verse 11, verse 32, verse 34. The word refers to someone who has no spouse. A state that may result from various circumstances, death of a spouse, desertion of a spouse, or divorce, or just single. So Paul says, okay, if you were married, if you were widowed, whatever it might be, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Now, here's what you need to remember. 
Some of us would go, Paul, I know that you're inspired, but, but were you ever married, Paul? Were you ever married? Because you're giving us marriage advice, and we don't know if you've been married. Here's what I can tell you, okay? The Word of God doesn't say, but we do know that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, and one of the requirements of the Sanhedrin is that you had to be married. So we just naturally assume, my opinion only, I'm not behind the pulpit, my opinion is that Paul's wife either divorced him or, he, or, she, or she passed on. I don't know. But he is qualified to give us, and that's why he said, this is just my advice. This is just my advice. But I say to the unmarried and to the widow, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, okay, if they can't stay celibate, they don't have that gift, he says, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion, to burn with passion. Guys, the solution for those without the gift of celibacy. Now, there are some that are like, man, I'm good. I'm good. He says, the gift, guys, is to get married, to be married. Okay? Those with this gift appear to be the exception and not the rule. But He's like, okay. Okay, it's far better for us to be married than to burn with sexual desire. We have to be so careful because the Lord looks deep in our hearts. And I know there are times when we can modify our behavior to go, I'm good. This, no, I'm, I'm not watching anything. But in our hearts, we're burning with, with desire. We're doing with sexual passion. And Paul says, man, listen, go out and, 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 and it's okay to marry. It's okay to be married. And if you're married, man, don't, don't hold out on your husband. Man, there's, there's temptation everywhere and the enemy's attacking. And make sure you communicate in the area of sex. Make sure you communicate. Well, I don't like to talk about it. It's a really awkward. Make sure you talk about it. Because there are times when you're fasting, there are times when you should be praying, and, and, and everybody understands where you're going with it. Here's what God says to us. Listen, if you're single here, amen. Be single unto the glory of God. Don't let anybody tell you you should or shouldn't be married. If you're married here, stay married. Work on your marriage. Be intimate in your marriage. Intimacy doesn't just... Intimacy isn't just about sex, amen? It's about holding hands. It's about taking a walk. It's about a hug. Affection and intimacy is not, it's about, it's about talking about Jesus. It's about when she's sick, you take care of her. You bring her soup. You put a wet washcloth on her forehead. It's all of those things, guys. It's just not sex. Intimacy starts in the kitchen. It starts in the living room. It's all about that, guys. That's what Paul says. If you're widowed, it's okay. Glorify God. Next week, next week, you don't want to miss it because we're going to talk more on practical sense of being married. He's just, he just goes into it, and that's where we're at. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, God, that we can, we can look at this. Thank you that we can apply your word to us. Thank you for the practical application. 
Thank you that, Lord, we can talk about sex in the church and we can do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. God, go with us now. Be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.